0: Daily with Jason Mertidis. All right, here it is the Tuesday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, the 28th of September. We haven't done a Tuesday episode in forever, but we're going to do one now as the Flyers will play tonight. Preseason game number one it's against the New York Islanders. I imagine we'll see a pretty veteran laden lineup for the Flyers tonight, and conversely, Uh, Not the case for the Islanders, as you tend to have your veteran-laden lineups for home games, and not so veteran-laden for road games, and the Islanders have played a game already as well. Uh, Flyers' first game of the preseason happening tonight at Wells Fargo Center. So we're looking forward to that, getting to see some of these players in action, some combinations in action. So much change this offseason, and how it's going to look on the ice has been the question. We'll start to get some answers to those questions uh, coming up tonight, albeit in preseason action. Doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but... Uh, can set the stage and certainly help players put themselves in position to make this roster. A guy like Morgan Frost, for example, is one of those that we'll keep an eye on and we'll see if he's in the lineup tonight. But joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily is an old friend. Covered the Flyers, of course, for the Philadelphia Daily News. Uh, Was at TSN for a period of time, now at dailyfaceoff.com. And he's got the great Daily Faceoff show, Monday through Fridays at noon. And you can check that out. It is our old buddy Frank Saravali. Frank, how you doing? Jay, what's going on? Not much, man. How's daily faceoff?
1: It's been great, honestly. It's been so fun, uh, challenge to get everything rolling. Uh, nice little shot in the arm for my career, uh, in the sense that it was time to do something new. And so, uh, leaving a major Canadian network in right before the playoffs started, I was eager and excited to try something different and putting together a group and a team, uh, has been fun. And so I'm excited to roll out what that team looks like in the next week or so. And we're starting to put together something really cool.
0: Real quick, before we get to the flyers, you guys are going to be doing a show at noon, uh, Monday through Friday called, uh, the daily face-off show, uh, you and a rotating cast of characters. You're the host of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. what can people expect from the program that they see, uh, every day, Monday through Friday?
1: Top-notch insight and information. I mean, look, we're going to whip around the NHL in a half hour. Think kind of like PTI, uh, quick-moving topics that can be easily digested on social media. We'll have a guest or something that we talk about uh, on a regular basis, prospects or salary cap or whatever it is, some insider info that I'll be able to drop as well. And we're going to be doing it with some of the best analysts in the business, Kevin Weeks, Mike McKenna. Uh, Tim Peel, the former NHL referee. So uh, a couple more names to add in addition to that. And I'm looking forward to uh, to announcing and sharing those details soon.
0: Yeah, I saw that you added Mike McKenna. Of course, ended his career here in Philadelphia and with the Phantoms and uh, was out with the Las Vegas Golden Knights uh, the last year or so. And uh, he's a great addition as well. He provides great insight not only to the game, but also into the position of goaltending, which is always so paramount. One of the things we're going to discuss in regards to the Flyers, but uh, yeah, the seasons upon us, uh, you know, it's weird because I kind of convinced myself, well, this is going to be a shorter offseason, right? Because the cup was handed out later than it's ever been handed out in my lifetime. And it doesn't feel that way. It feels like this offseason has been an eternity. A ton has happened, not only in Philadelphia, but around the league. How's the offseason <laughs> felt for you?
1: I was going to say, I guess it depends on what your perspective is. I feel like <laughs> I was just in Tampa at the cup final, like seriously two days ago.
0: Cause you uh, were. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and I'm sure the Tampa Bay lightning feel that way, but I could understand why flyers fans uh, might not. I mean, yes, the regular season ended later, but it's, it's still been a way deeper longer off season free agency, not coming until late July, all those things, um, you know, sort of play into that feel. And, Honestly, I'm glad, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, to be on the normal or closer to normal hockey circadian rhythm, like for whatever reason, like I was in the weirdest place personally and professionally last year at this time thinking like, okay, it's September, where's training camps? And it's like October, why isn't the puck dropping? And then we get into November and December and there's no hockey it was like shades of lockouts gone wrong in years past. And I'm just glad that we don't have to deal with that. And by the way, everyone can have a closer to normal summer next summer.
0: Yeah, it'll be closer. Still, the Olympic break is going to push things a bit. And, you know, it's not going to be perfect. But you're right, it's so much closer. It was weird last year. It did feel weird, like Thanksgiving and Black Friday where there's no games. And there is a bio rhythm that, you know, the leaves, that it starts getting cooler so and the leaves weird. change. Yeah. My kid it's was like, playing, but the pros weren't.
1: Yeah, it's honestly, and having covered the league for 10, 12 years now, like you get into that body, like your body just expects it. You know, you're programmed even to the, The late June, late, late May, early June, like, okay, let's get the free agent list done. Let's do this. Let's do that. You're ready for the push of it all. And it it doesn't happen. It's, It's definitely odd. By the way, I wanted to say you mentioned Black Friday, I am excited my little guy is doing mites on ice this year at Wells Fargo on the black Friday game. So oh,
0: well, you didn't get a bad game. You must've pulled some strings for that. Huh? <laughs>
1: we, uh, I did not pull any strings. Uh, in fact, I think the guy running it, I, I talked to him. He has no idea who I am. It's perfect. Um, so yeah, he gave me a list of games. I was like, Oh, the black Friday one, that'll be good. We'll do that.
0: We'll have, ho- we'll have family in for the holiday, the whole thing. Oh, that's awesome. My, my, my son played in it as well. And it is an absolute thrill. Uh, to see them out there on that ice where, you know, you covered so many games, watched games and uh, mm-hmm. you see it on TV all the time. It's real cool. And it's a great experience for those kids as well. And I know your kids just starting. I saw that I, uh, you, you know, you put a photo out of, you were taping a stick, man. Did, did you use the whole roll of tape on that uh, <laughs> tape job? You used a high like sock on that thing.
1: It, it's fun. Well, that's how I always taped my stick. I always, um, you know, I covered the blade on both sides and it just went all the way up to the toe. And, I don't know, some people like less tape, some people like more. Uh, you can go see the the comments on my tweet, you know, uh, not using black tape, all sorts of different comments and criticism. I think that's the beauty of it is that it's all personal. It's whatever you want it to be, the Eric Lindros three raps and you're out or whatever it is, everyone's got their own style and – oh, that's just how I do it. And maybe my son, when he gets old enough and is able to tape his own stick, he'll do something different.
0: Yeah, Keith Yandel's got a bit of an old, old school tape job. He's got the toe exposed and you see very few players with the toe exposed these days and, and his blade's gray. And it, and it kind of feels like a throwback and it's almost like he's being goofy because that's one of the things he brings. So let's kind of start there because- Kevin Hayes, we know the tragedy that befalled his family with the loss of Jimmy Hayes and how the hockey community has really rallied around uh, not only Kevin, but the family and and his, you know, everybody around him to help. And, And that's a great thing that the hockey community has done and continues to do. And when Chuck Fletcher signed Keith Yandel to that contract after he was bought out in Florida, Frank, you know, we didn't know that at that time that this would be maybe even more significant than it is. And, and, you know, now having one of his great friends here is is a big help.
1: Yeah. There's no question about that. I mean, that's the thing is that that Boston connection and especially of guys of a certain age um, that are in that group, those guys are so tight. And, you know, you knew that, um, you know, last season when Keith Yandel was in Florida, Um, you know, those guys are always in touch and in communication. And, you know, even when, you know, things were going on and he was potentially not going to start the season with that team. And, and then, you know, is, is he going to be a healthy scratch here or there? Your phone would start to buzz and it would always be from other guys from the Boston area, wondering about Keith Yandel, wondering about this or that. So those guys are always keeping in touch and keeping it close. And I'd imagine he's going to be a huge guy to lean on. Um, you know, Kevin Hayes is, as everyone knows, one of the real heartbeats of that team and in their their dressing room. And he's formed some pretty tight bonds uh, with some of the players that have been through there. You know, I, I think back to Nolan Patrick. Um, he helped Nolan Patrick through some pretty dark times. Uh, Nolan, if I'm not mistaken, lived with him in Old City, and um, you know, they certainly he was a sounding board for Nolan Patrick through what you know, he had described, uh, as, as some pretty difficult moments. And now Keith Yandel gets to be that for Kevin, um, which is sort of probably how the world should work, um, in terms of, you know, what goes around comes around. And, you know, he's got that person to lean on now that he's familiar with. And I I just think, um, you could tell how much he really wants to be part of the team, you know, watching him at practice in training camp the other day, he's injured and you know, obviously these players, when they're hurt, I don't think people, the general fan realizes how difficult it is for guys that are injured to feel a part of the team because you're you're on a totally different schedule. You're doing different things. You're not in the mix. You're not in the room. And the Flyers have sort of allowed and set things up for Kevin Hayes so that he can finish his rehab and get to a point where he's spending time with the team. And I think he just needs it. I think he knows that he needs it. And I think every waking moment that he's not dealing with team obligations that he's getting back to see his family in Massachusetts. And so um, just a tough time. And we're all going to miss Jimmy Hayes. I, I loved interacting with him and on the missing curfew podcast and all the different things that he was into. It just, um, you know, what a big larger than life personality.
0: Yeah. And that's so well said too. you know, Kevin's a guy that, you know, a lot of times when players are injured, it's not available. Not in the mix, right? Not around because, like you said, they're on different schedules. But Kevin has that ability to, to still provide something to the team by being around them because of his personality, and he's going to lean on them, and, and they're going to lean on him in some ways as well. You know, well, they're going to
1: miss him on the ice too. Like, what a big yeah. blow that is to the team, uh, given the
0: situation that
1: they're in. Got to get off to a good start. You know, all of a sudden you're without Kevin Hayes for, for 68 weeks and, and it just hurts. It really does. There's no way around it with what he means to that team up the
0: middle. And, and Frank, you know, that's another part of the equation. You know, when guys go down, that it's an opportunity for somebody. And this looks like a, a great opportunity for Morgan Frost. He's come in bigger. He's noticeably bigger in the shoulders and just the way he's winning, you know, board battles in camp and in rookie camp as well. He looked like he outclassed that rookie camp, or maybe he looked good in prior years, but he didn't look like he was outclassing it to this extent. Uh, But he's got an opportunity now, and it looks like he may play some second-line minutes as well, uh, playing with other skilled players, because that's where players like him need to play, with guys that can think the game and and execute the game like he can.
1: Well, it's, it's all about what are you doing when you're not scoring? And I think that was really one of the big question marks for a guy like Morgan Frost. Obviously, a skilled player, the talent is there, the The scoring touch and ability is there. The creativity is there, but the NHL is a tough nut to crack in that sense. That those those skill positions are so far and few between available that it you know you you can't necessarily come in and, and find a way to to be productive on the lower end of the lineup for whatever reason it is. And I'll, I want to point out two guys that have actually done a really good job of finding a way to to contribute in other areas if the scoring wasn't there one is joel farabee who came in right away and was able to do that uh you know whatever it was that the team needed him to do he was willing and and more importantly able to do it and was really dependable and gained the trust of the coaching staff so even in when you get a year where he scores eight goals in his rookie year and, and scores 21 points that they were able to trust him in other situations. He, he plays in all situations. And I think the other guy that's a, a maybe more longer-term example is a guy like Scott Lawton. He yeah. took a really long time to figure it out. And he came in as a you know, somewhat highly touted first-round pick. I was actually still covering the Flyers then when he had first... Um, sort of made his way in. And there's always that expectation coming off an 87-point year in junior where it's like this guy is going to come in and score for you and he's going to do X, Y, and Z, and he's the first-round pick and uh, all this attention and hype. And it it took him a while to figure it out. And now Scott Lawton has become one of the sort of – he reinvented himself. He you know, was like my my chair in this league, that's a lappy term. Uh, For whatever reason, he always used it more than anyone else – find your chair, figure out what you do best, and, and do that to the best of your abilities. And he figured it out and has become one of the premier players at his position in that sort of third-line, dependable center role that you can use at any point up or down your lineup. And, and he turned himself into a guy where when we got down to, to, to brass tacks on trade deadline day, April 12th, The Flyers are saying, wait, all these teams are interested. What are we missing here? How are we going to keep this guy? And they sign him to a five-year, $15 million deal, and he's on his way to becoming a $30 million career player. So sometimes it takes time. Uh, Morgan Frost, the sort of jury is still out, and he's at that crossroads now where it's like fish or cut bait. Figure out what you are in this league or move along. And so I have a feeling and, and a sense that he'll get there. It's just easier said than done sometimes in this league.
0: Yeah, you got to prove it on the ice. And, you know, Scott Lawton actually went back to the Phantoms that one year to to define his role and refine what he was going to be at the NHL level, because just because you score in junior doesn't mean you're going to score at the NHL level. You see it quite often. Um, let, let's talk about what Chuck Fletcher did this offseason, because, you know, I, I made up this list, you know, prior to the offseason beginning, once the cup was handed out. Here's where uh, the boxes they need to check, you know, right side, right shot, top D man. They need to bolster the decor overall. They need a shoot first winger. They need, you know, some accountability on the ice and some grit when Joel Farabee and Oscar Lindblom dropped the gloves last year. So we had this long list and we're going, well, what well, can he, co- what can he accomplish? What is feasible in one off season still with a flat cap? Are you surprised at how much he got done this off season?
1: Not really in the sense that first off, I think, I don't think pressure is the right word, but I think um, the expectation was set for the Flyers, right? Like this this whole like two steps forward, one step back, that's not going to cut it. You know, the Flyers had sort of been building and building and building and then they didn't plateau. They went down a notch last year. And so the other part, another reason why I'm not surprised is because they had pieces that they sort of had kept in their stable to see whether they could figure it out. And then sort of made the room by jettisoning those piece, jettisoning those pieces. And one of them is is a Shane Goss Bear type player. It was like, well, we don't really want to trade Shane Goss Bear last year because they knew that they were facing a somewhat similar circumstance. And it was like, okay, how can we find a way to, um, you know, to get more out of him? And and they just didn't. They never were able to. And for whatever reason, I was there that day, the first time ever that. Shane Goss' spare was a healthy scratch by Dave Haxtell. And it was like mind blowing at the time. And I don't know that he ever recovered from that, but not to go too far down that rabbit hole um, to, to trade some of the other pieces that they had like a Jake Borachek where they could create some space. Um, they could have always moved Robert Haig if they needed to, um, you know, Philip Myers and Nolan Patrick again, Nolan Patrick, you know, I had gotten to this point last year in the reporting process. Like I had a hard time believing that Nolan Patrick, if he was going to figure it out, it wasn't going to be in Philly, that he needed a fresh start and he needed to move on. So they had, they had malle- a malleable enough roster to make it happen. And and that's exactly what Chuck, Ple- Chuck Fletcher did is press those pressure points to the point where you can move on. And And it's not a perfect cap situation moving forward because I think there's still – you know, like take a look at the Voracek check for Atkinson deal. Basically what you did is, is just take your problem and punt it down the road because you have Atkinson for the one extra year. So they were willing to get creative and try some different things and let's see what happens. Like, let's see how this new look decor changes. They've got some bark and they've got some bite on their back end Now, how much does that make the flyers a more difficult team to play against? Like that to me is the clear theme of the off season. It's, this is Broad Street's back a little bit um, in terms of the feel of this team, and they've got a little bit of an attitude. Let's see how they skate, and let's see what they look like.
0: Are they a significantly better team than last year um, on paper? You know, we won't know until we see this on the two hundred by eighty-five. And I, I keep trying to reiterate that. You know, we've been burned so many times in Philly, judging teams on paper, whether it's Dream Team with the Eagles or Sixers when they got Chris Webber, or you know, you can go down the line. And, and it just doesn't pan out. It, it's only determined if they're better, if it performs better in games. Do, do you feel like this is a significantly better team than it was last year? Or was that team not as bad as they were last year? And they just, it snowballed on them in a, in a weird year with COVID. And that's part of the equation as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think it snowballed on them because I really liked where they were heading. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you go back to that playoff loss against the Islanders. And like, I liked where that team was building towards. And then you get this year, last year, and you're like, huh, I don't know. So I think here's how I'm going to answer that. And this isn't me being Pollyannish about it. I, I'm not ready and or willing to say that the Flyers are significantly better. I think they're different. Um, and, and that's – I mean, that's an obvious answer based on all the changes that have been made. They, they're just constructed different now. So could they be better? Sure, but I also think that there's an opportunity that you know, or a chance, I should say, that they aren't better. That they they go in a, in the in the opposite direction than they should. Uh, I think that's a possibility that needs to be recognized and or uh, and or looked at. But here's the thing: they could be significantly better, all based on one thing, and that's Carter Hart. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it, you know, we've had this chicken and the egg argument, and I've heard Chuck Fletcher say it a million times about. Um, you know, the, the number of rushes that that team gave up last year and, and chances off the rush, and, and how much, you know, maybe that's not Carter Hart, maybe that's the defense. And so, you know, maybe you bolster the defense and all of a sudden Carter Hart looks different. Maybe he's now got the proper support behind him in Martin Jones. Um, you know, those are all significant question marks. Um, but like, he, it, it, it's, it sounds so simplistic to say. But the way this sport works, you know, a a great or even a good goaltender that's above average is a cure-all. It really is. Mm -hmm. And so Chuck Fletcher could could look like an absolute genius by virtue of Carter Hart bouncing back to the level that we all thought he was rising to. Um, And the truth is that, you know, I think anyone looking at this from a level-headed perspective would tell you that development is not a straight line. It's, I say it
0: all the time, Frank. <laughs> especially
1: for goaltenders and especially mm-hmm. for young ones that had not played that number of games. Like The number of goalies in the NHL, in NHL history that have been that age, that have performed at that level, that have played that number of games under their belt, it, it's a really small list. So to think that everything was just going to be on this path to the Hall of Fame career, it doesn't happen let alone you add in the deficiencies that the team had in front of him. And, you know, all of a sudden we're sitting here going, well, what is this team?
0: Yeah. And the environment did break him last year. I think it was pretty apparent to see. And and, and the, your, one of your contributors there on Daily Faceoff will tell you, Mike McKenna will tell you, environment matters. It's such a big part of it. And he, he's a goaltender that plays with a lot of structure and one that, you know, is real good at compartmentalizing and, and moving on to the next shot after a goal or after a bad goal but last year he just couldn't seem to do that at, one, at some point I believe it was that Boston game where he got beat by Marshan short side after he got tagged three times back door on the blocker side you lean in that league you're done you're dead those guys exploit it they don't make the mistake let, let me ask you about Martin and some Jones of it,
1: by the way I wanted to say too that some of that's on Carter Hart and his own maturity mm-hmm. it, it's it's I, I one of my big questions about Carter Hart was never about his talent or his skill set it was always up here and having covered Carter Hart pretty extensively going back to his days uh, playing for Team Canada at the World Juniors, to watch his routine, how oriented it was, how detailed it was, how very specific it was. When you get to the NHL, I'm, I'm not certain that stuff works. And. The thing is, and if you get thrown a curveball, how do you react to it? Does does your season explode around it or does it not? And when you deal with this sort of unforeseen global pandemic that we've been living in over the last couple of years, everything in your world gets blown up. So Mm -hmm. how does your game respond to that? That, to me, was always one of the big question marks about Carter Hart. And I think, unfortunately, the Flyers and Carter Hart got an answer to some of that. Now the thing is, can he put all the pieces back together now and get, get back to being that special goalie that he once was?
0: It's such a great point. And again, Mike McKenna will talk about this. Sometimes you become so enamored with your routine that the routine becomes too much. And it's it, it because becomes it a stress. because it defines you. Yeah, it does. And you know, for, for you know, an alpha athlete, an elite athlete, it, it's difficult for goaltenders because you want to dictate the terms as an athlete. But when you can't as a goaltender because it's reactive, what do you do? You control every other element of your life with rigidity that sometimes if you just cut loose some of that rigidity would help you because you're right. It, you know, you don't, you, there's things you don't have control of. And if you let that go a little bit, you, it can help you ultimately. And we'll see if he, if he learns from that element of it. But uh, it, it's why I say goaltenders, a lot of them suffer from OCD <laughs> because they don't have that control all the time. Let me ask you about Martin Jones because I had you on my radio show when they signed Cam Atkinson and, and you dropped a little nugget about the Flyers goaltending situation at that time. And I couldn't get it out of you off the air either. Uh, is that the, is that the guy you thought they were targeting Martin Jones and the Kim Dillaball connection? Um, I know Brayton Holby was somebody that they did look at, but ultimately for a litany of reasons, they didn't go in that direction. And maybe Holby didn't want to go in that direction as well.
1: There were a number of different targets that the Flyers had on the veteran goalie front. Uh, I know they had discussed Holpe, um, you know, obviously Martin Jones is the guy that ends up here. And I think part of that is also due to how they wanted to re, you know, sort of construct their budget and their salary cap. Uh, I think the other guy that they had internal discussions about was Mark Andre Fleury, but I don't think that was ever really a possibility, um, you know, based on a whole number of, you know, things. And you saw how he reacted and responded when, he was traded to Chicago and needed some time to digest, digest that after being uh, the, the first ever reigning Vezina Trophy winner to be traded for nothing. Um, you know. So I don't know that a, a stop in Philly was ever really in the cards, but whew, Martin Jones is nothing if not interesting because I think he has the foundational pieces, uh, and we've seen them in the NHL, to, to be an impact goalie. But my thing is, and I again, this is where we come back to the, is it the is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the team? Is it the defense or is it the goalie? I, I'm still shocked that at this point the San Jose Sharks are rolling forward and and, and running it back again with the same uh, group that they have on defense, that that triumvirate of of ugly contracts with Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Mark Edward vlasic Like, man, um, that's a that's a diversion for another day, but three straight years of martin jones at 896 that requires some like significant game repair and and obviously uh he worked hard this summer and clearly the kim Dillaball connection could help but he's got a lot to prove in my opinion in terms of being a bona fide nhl goaltender that can hang in here for much longer than this contract
0: yeah, I agree with you. I, I was a little bit of a head scratcher for me as well and and look he he was a product of that environment out there and and brought in some you know, it brings bad habits into your game with that lack of structure. And there's three guys you mentioned, well, all at one time, incredibly offensively gifted players. But the environment out there has been a gong show. And for them to keep running that back, it eventually that environment will break any goaltender. Uh, let me ask you about Ryan Ellis, because, you know, in season last year, we heard a lot of scuttlebutt about uh, Matias Ekholm as the target. Even though he was a left shot, he could play the right side. Then we got into this offseason. Of course, we heard the big names, whether it was Dougie Hamilton as a free agent or... Seth Jones, who wasn't going to extend in Columbus, and they end up making the trade and acquiring Ryan Ellis. And I'd heard last year that maybe Ekholm wasn't the target, that Ellis was, uh, or at least it moved to Ellis at some point. Uh, were you surprised at the deal? What does he have to give? Not surprised at
1: all. I thought uh, Ryan Ellis was the target the whole time. Um, I actually I ended up breaking that trade in part because I had sort of been making calls and had heard for, Days slash weeks that that Ryan Ellis was the guy that they were really focused and, and honed in on. Um, what does he bring? He brings attitude. He brings snarl. He brings uh, consistency. He brings um, he brings a an edge that this team had been missing. He brings a a scoring element. Uh, you know you're not going to see Ryan Ellis uh, back down from anything. And I think part of Ryan Ellis's own downfall is also that same thing, is that Ryan Ellis doesn't back down from anything. And so I think the one concern that I'd have in trading for Ryan Ellis is just the sheer term remaining on his contract six years on that $50 million deal. And the fact that he struggled at times to stay on the ice. Uh, I mean, just go back and look at his his games played over the last number of years, he's really played three complete seasons in the NHL in the last decade. Um, You know, has missed a bunch of games due to injury and, and some things are bad luck and some things are just a guy that's sort of always in the mix that ends up on the wrong side of it. And, And so unfortunately for him, you know, partially to his own detriment, um, when he's, when he's healthy and he's on, he's, he's a top flight, you know, top 25, top 30 defenseman in the entire NHL. And when he's out of the lineup, he leaves a gaping hole that's sometimes tough to replace.
0: Yeah, and we saw what the byproduct of trying to replace that with Matt Niskanen was last year when they didn't have a top pairing that could at least limit top lines in that division last year, even though it was just that limited division of eight total teams. The top line in Boston, they feast on a lot of people. They feasted on the Flyers. Ovechkin's line feasted on the Flyers. We saw mm-hmm. Zibanejad. Jeez, he, I feel like he's still picking his teeth after feasting on the Flyers in two straight six-point games. Turned his season around had he not had those games. He, he may be, you know, his numbers look way off last year.
1: The Flyers were a big reason why the Rangers had one of the better goal differentials in the league.
0: Yeah. 9 nothing in A3 in successive games. Unbelievable. Uh, let me ask you about Frank uh, Rasmus Ristolainen because he's polarizing figure, in particular with the analytics community, as you know. Uh, but he is a guy that does bring that element of fear to the opposition on the ice. He is a pain in the ass to play against. Mm-hmm. Flyers players have talked about it. I'm sure you've heard about it from guys around the league. And fear is something that's very real and how it can affect a skilled player in this game. Uh, the addition of Ristolainen, they give up a first-round pick in a bit of a weird draft. Uh, do you like the move and what he can bring to the table for this team?
1: I really like what he can bring to the table. I don't know that I like the price paid. And I guess it really depends too on what Rasmus Ristalainen's next contract looks like on top of that, which, you know, could really sway things, you know, probably not in the Flyers' favor as well, depending on what they have to pay. But I'll tell you this, he's really intriguing. Um, to be able to break into the league – at age 18 and then two years later at age 20 go on a run of four straight 40 plus point seasons all while doing so on a team in Buffalo that hasn't made the the playoffs his entire tenure well there's something there and I know what the analytics community says but I also know what you know pundits were saying previously about Taylor Hall last season while he was playing in Buffalo like Taylor Hall all of a sudden woke up after winning a hard trophy and couldn't play anymore or couldn't score. The stench and the stink of the Sabres has been wafting all over these guys, and I think to have Rasmus Ristolainen break free of that, go to a team with expectations that can compete and that has a chance to win, I just think you're going to see a different Rasmus Ristolainen that I think can get back to that level. Now, he's another guy that's seen some wear and tear – uh, for the most part, he's been uh, in the lineup and, and has not missed nearly as many games as Ellis. Uh, but I think they're a nice sort of one-two punch in terms of giving the Flyers some punch on their back end that they needed. I mentioned the theme of the offseason was the Flyers back to Broad Street, tough tougher to play against. And those two guys, Ellis and Ristaline, and I think really embody that. And, and now it's about, providing the proper support and structure for Carter Hart uh, to really get back to being successful.
0: Yeah, and both of those guys bring it in such different ways. You know, Arista Line in such a big physical freak, and he'll be playing second pairing minutes. That's a big difference from his, his time in Buffalo as well. Let me ask you about Sean Couturier, because at the, his end-of-season press conference, I thought it was real interesting the way he kind of – You know, chose his words uh, about an extension, and you know, said he wanted to stay here and wanted to be loyal to the franchise. But his career is also about winning, and it didn't. You know, extension didn't get done, Frank, until a lot of these changes were made. And the fact that the extension doesn't start with uh, you know an eight or a nine is pretty incredible uh, for the player that they're getting here in Sean Couturier. Yeah. It's a lot of term, of course. And he's going to be, you know, you have to incur some risk on the back end of deals. That's the way it works. Uh, But were you surprised at the price of the deal and and what he came to an agreement with, with the Flyers?
1: I I mean, I'm surprised, I guess, in the cap hit, given that he's been one of the most productive and also defensively conscious players in the league and blending those two things is so hard to do. And you see the Selkie trophy that he wins. Um, you know, it speaks for itself in terms of his impact. Um, but I do wonder, and, and look, Sean Couturier has never really been fleet of foot in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a nine-year commitment, adding on the one year that the Flyers uh, still have remaining to him for this season. It's been that, that contract has been an insane bargain. Uh, the Flyers and, and at the time, Uh, It was July 28th, 2015. So I believe it was Ron Hextall that had signed Sean Couturier to that extension. Um, Like brilliance, like the contract before the Flyers made out like bandits. Um, When you think about Wayne Simmons, when he was producing 30 goal seasons in the fours as well. Um, They've done really well to sign players coming, you know, on their second or third contract to longer term deals. That gives the players some security. And, you know, and also gives the team some security in terms of cost certainty. Now, with regards to Couturier, um, I'm in the minority in thinking that, you know, when I first saw the deal, I was like, oh, the AAB is good, but I'm wondering what that term can look like uh, towards the latter years of the deal. Sean Couturier will be 37 in his last season. Um Maybe that looks ugly. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, Maybe he ages well and he's sort of the Patrice Bergeron uh, still going strong at age 36 that, you know, sort of in that same wheelhouse that we see Bergeron today. Uh, Maybe not, but I think it's a worthy gamble. And I think for Sean Couturier, you know, it wasn't about every dollar. I do think he's honest. He's a simple guy, Um, you know, Spends a lot of time up near his hometown, Bathurst, and and just there's not a like what you see is what you get with Sean Couturier. There's no
0: fluff
1: fluff at all. And I think to get him, you know, he's going to be nearly a hundred million dollar player by the time this is all said and done. 94 million dollars. Easy for us mere mortals to say what's an extra million here or or five million there. I, I guess at that point, when you have 90 plus million that you've earned in your career. We're talking about this, the difference in size of your boat. And it's easy for us to joke and laugh about that now, but it's another thing to uh, to take perhaps a little bit less than you could have gotten uh, to ensure your team a little bit more flexibility.
0: And And like you said, Coming off one of the best value contracts for the last since 2015 in the league, that he's he'll still be under this final season uh, of that. That's deal. when
1: players usually want to hammer you and say, "Yeah, okay, now not only do I need to get paid for what I did, you need to back pay me yeah. for all the great seasons that I had." And so, I think this is probably what ends up being like legitimately a fair, reasonable contract for both sides, risk on both sides.
0: Yeah, there's definitely risk in, uh, north of 33, 34 years old, and you do you just don't know. There's some players that they, when they lose the half a step or whatever it is, they can adjust and, and can't be effective. And there's others that can think the game at an elite, an elite level and mitigate. That's, that.
1: that's always been Sean. He's never been an elite, yep. elite skater. He's been an elite thinker. And so he doesn't really have a half step to give, but you know, if he's giving another half step that perhaps he can make up with it with his mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last thing for you, Frank. Let's look at the Metro real quick and where the Flyers fit into this division. The Metro is back, which is great. So uh, you got the Islanders, who are a team that is not only on the rise, but they are—they are, they have you know sustenance to be able to They're remain there. Yeah, I mean that's a really good hockey team. Uh, you look at a team like the Capitals and. You know, obviously, they're long in the tooth at some key positions. Peter Laviolette heading into year two and a more normal season. Then you got a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've got some injuries they're dealing with with Crosby and Malkin going to be out a couple of months. The Devils made a big splash and and look like they're trying to get closer to being a team that can contend for the playoffs. I'm not sure they're there yet. Carolina is a team that some head-scratching moves this offseason with Ndalkovich, and they lose Dougie Hamilton, and, and, of course, Columbus, and and a team like the Rangers that could be a team – that I think is moving in the right direction. So where do the Flyers fit in this very, very interesting metropolitan division?
1: I see them in the three to four range,
0: three, four, five range.
1: There's a lot of variables, um, obviously, and it's a long year too. I, I think the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes are, are the class of the division and sort of the next, uh, you know, they're in the top tier And then I I think you've got the Flyers, Washington, and Pittsburgh in that sort of next rung. Um, Then you've got – and I I should really include the New York Rangers in that group as well um, with the moves that they've made. And I think all you need is really one or two of those young players – you know, at some point we're going to see a burst or a flash from Capo caco At some point we're going to see more from Alexi Lafreniere. You just need really one or two of those guys to take off. They've got the goal pending. I think the Rangers are a team clearly on the rise, as you, as you alluded to. So I, I think they're in that group, and then I think at the bottom you've got I mean, I think it's kind of clear that the Columbus Blue Jackets, to me on paper, are, are are the the weakest team in the division, and then the Devils are are a notch above them. I I think the funny caveat about both those teams, uh, in, in sort of stating with any clarity where they're at, is that I think they're going to be really hard to play against. Like I don't think that, unlike some of the other divisions that are around the NHL, namely the Pacific. Uh, maybe with a team like the Detroit Red Wings and the Buffalo Sabres at the bottom of the Atlantic. Um, there are no gimmies in, in the central. Um, there, there's not really an off night in the Metro. There's not a team that you can point to and circle and say, yep, we're grabbing uh, eight out of 10 points from that team this year. And it's going to be nice to put those in the bank. That that doesn't really exist. Uh, Brad Larson is going to shock people. That guy is going to be a heck of a coach in Columbus. I had him on my podcast Uh, over the summer what a well put together guy I wanted to run through a wall just talking to him Um, so as a rookie coach he's going to capture the Blue Jackets attention and the you you talked about the changes that the the Devils are making uh, a team that's clearly got some room to grow and I think Jack Hughes is a heck of a player that we're going to see him get to that next level of uh, of superstardom starting this year and there's sort of the aging questions with the caps and pens uh you know where do they stand moving forward uh the penguins we're gonna it's gonna be a fascinating year in pittsburgh with uh this this window that we're gonna have in the first number of weeks of the season with no crosby no malkin i know the penguins said that malkin is out at least the first two months my intelligence would suggest that the Evgeny Malkin, we don't see him until sometime after January 1st. My guess wow. is sometime in that that window, he had a torn ACL, and, and that's what his surgery was to repair. Those things just never come together as quickly as you want. And Malkin and Letang are in the last years of their deal. I, I mean, it feels like a last dance kind of uh, circumstance. If you saw that series uh, with Michael Jordan on ESPN, to me um, – Malkin, Crosby, Letang, the pillars of three Stanley Cup winning teams. Um, what do they look like this year? And, and are they in the mix when you get towards the trade deadline? Are we talking about the Penguins potentially having to consider moving a piece or two of those to get some much needed picks and, and prospect capital back? Or are they right there squarely in the mix? If they're in the mix, you know there's no way they're trading them. So no. um, it's a it's going to be a fascinating season in Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, can they survive that first part of the schedule and not be chasing the standings so much that just to get back into the race that they're you know they're going to exhaust themselves and just not have enough? It's going to be fascinating. You're you right.
1: know who the key there is going to be? One of the keys? Our old friend Jeff Carter.
0: Yeah he's going to have to hold it down for a period of time as their top line centerman, right?
1: He's whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be asked to do a lot in Pittsburgh. And the funny thing is I didn't know that he had that gear to get back to, but damn, was he one of the best trade deadline pickups last year. Uh, The way he produced in Pittsburgh, 13 goals in 20 games, including the playoffs, like bananas. Uh, He's a guy that, What a steal, too, at $2.6 That's one of the best trades we've seen in years.
0: Yeah, I wonder, though, with a a, a full 82 in front of him, can he get back to that gear and sustain that gear at his age? He's no spring chicken. I mean, geez, it's a long time that he's been in this league, but he's been a a really effective player. You're right in Pittsburgh. He's been suburban, just unbelievable. So we'll see if he can you know, keep the team afloat during that period of time, Frank, this was awesome. And I really appreciate it. I know we've been trying to get it together to, to talk and everybody's got to check out that, you know, the daily face-off show uh, that'll be Monday through Friday at noon Eastern. Uh, check that out. Frank is the host. We'll have a revolving cast of we'll guests and great insight and inside information as you always do. And you broke a little nugget here about Malkin on January 1st. So we always appreciate that as well uh, and get, make sure you follow daily face-off on on Twitter and check out the site. It's you guys have amped it to a great level. It's great content. I love it as a, as a hockey nerd and a hockey consumption freak. It provides me great stuff. So I appreciate the the work that you guys are doing and it's going to be a great season for you guys and for the league. Jay,
1: my pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing you at the rink. It's been a while.
0: Thanks to Frank Saravalli for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Another brand new one. We'll break down the preseason game coming up in tomorrow's episode we're five days a week monday through friday we'll go to seven days a week when the regular season starts coming up in mid-october so thanks for listening to this episode we'll break it all down tomorrow right here on flyers daily